What's up, everybody, and welcome to Rappin' with Reef Bum. I am your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and each episode I interview a guest from the reef keeping community. And today I welcome Joe Peck. Joe, I'm calling you a reef keeper extraordinaire. And, and Joe has an amazing reef tank that has actually been featured on Advanced Aquarist, an uh, online publication for reefs.com. It was also featured in a tank spotlight on Reef to Reef, and his tank was Tank of the Month on Reef Central, a trifecta. Joe, welcome to the show. All right, I gotta do a little uh, thing here because I'm not seeing you come on the, uh, on the screen, so let me just fiddle a little bit here with the uh, Why are we not seeing you there? <laughs> Hang on, folks. We got it. There we go. Now we can see you. Joe, can you can you can can you speak there so we can hear you for a second? Yeah, uh, now I have a message that I can record this broadcast or you are broadcasting me. So I think you must have done something. Yeah, well, we got you now. So, uh, all right, Joe, let's let's do that again. Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I, I, one other thing you, you uh, uh, probably didn't know about this, but I was also, I don't know if you can see this, but um, I was featured on the cover of a magazine years ago. That's my anemone from a long time ago, splitting. But I was... Uh, I wrote an article and took uh, some pictures. So about the same time that I got the tank of the month, uh, I also got, uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, on, the, on the cover of a magazine. Well, that's awesome. And uh, so Joe, you, you and I have known each other. Uh, we've been reef keeping uh, friends for, for many, many years. I think um, we were talking about this before the show. It might've been back in 2008, maybe 2007. I don't know, maybe we met uh, through Chris Jensen at, um, Reef and Finn in Stanford, Connecticut, or maybe Jason Edwards at uh, Greenwich Aquaria in, uh, in Greenwich, uh, Connecticut. I can't remember, but um, all I remember is going to your house and, and seeing your fish tank. And uh, I was truly inspired. I remember this, you had this giant colony of the uh, Oregon Blue Tort and the original Tyree Purple Monster, and you were so generous you gave me uh, several frags of each, I think, at least two frags of each plus some other frags. And um, I'll never forget that. It was, uh, it was awesome, and it's always good to have good reef-keeping friends like yourself. Yeah, well, it's vice versa because I remember receiving numerous frags from you after that. Uh, so it's, a, it's always a pay-it-forward kind of thing, you know. It's, it's, that's the way it seems the hobby works. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about this hobby is you gotta, you got to just um, – you know, try to try to make a lot of um, you know acquaintances and and share knowledge and and share frags and spread the wealth. So it's a, it's a great thing, and that's one of the, the truly great things about the hobby. So, um, Joe, let's uh, let's talk about how you got into reef keeping. I always like to ask my guests that question in terms of what your story is, in terms of how you got into the hobby. So, if you would. 
Yeah. Um, so my wife and I, before we had children, we both uh, very much enjoyed uh, diving. We went diving all over the Pacific, Hawaii, and in the Caribbean, and Cozumel, and just did a whole lot of diving. And we always had, I was always very interested in the smaller fish. Um, and then uh, I, we found friends, we moved to Chicago for a while, and some of our friends were also into diving. And that friend had a saltwater tank in his house. I never really realized that it was even possible. And that was probably 1998 or so. Um, so it took another two or three years before it finally gelled in my mind that I wanted to try a tank on my own. But definitely the inspiration for me came from first diving and then seeing somebody having a little bit of ocean in their, in their room back in 98. And uh, that gentleman also still has a tank, although he's gone to fish only. So he was never, uh, never big on the, the coral aspect of it. That, uh, that came later for me as well. So, um, but yeah, that, that's how I got started. So, um, Joe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a picture of, the, uh, of your tank uh, many years ago. And uh, I'm going to bring it up right now. And it was just a, uh, it was a gorgeous uh, tank. It had a Ritteri uh, anemone, and, and um, I know that split several times. And, and when we were talking before, I know you, you mentioned that you no longer have that uh, anemone. And we're gonna, we're gonna actually show a video of the tank in its, in its current state. So um, why don't you explain to everybody in terms of the, um, the history of your tank? I mean, it's been through a couple of reboots, right? Haven't you had a couple of restarts along the way? And, and it's also a tank that you've had for a very, very long time, correct? Uh, correct. Um, I mean, this particular tank that I have here is from 2007, um, but I, I, it transferred from another 180-gallon tank that I started really in uh, 2001. Um, the, the, the reboots... Um, unfortunately, as is so often in this hobby, there, are, there we all have run into the flatworm problem or the red bug problem or something like that. And my first real reboot came because I uh, was hit with the terrible flat world of flatworms. Yep, and been there. It just devastated. Oh, it just devastated my tank. And I was very heartbroken. But the the real positive, like we were talking about before. I was online uh, discussing my problem, and lo and behold, three local gentlemen, um, Tony Giovanni and another uh, two local reefers, um, they came over to my house and spent a whole day breaking down my tank, taking off each you know frag that they could, dipping the frags, helping me put them back onto rock that uh, I got that was new rock, and basically reassembling the uh, the entire tank in one one afternoon so that was my uh, my first reboot and um, normally that's that's it's usually been something that's happened to my tank that's caused me to have to kind of start over but the starting over has been a lot of fun I mean it's always a it's fun I mean you've done it yourself I've I've seen you redo um, the tank and I, I love uh, I've actually used your progression shots from your 0708 yeah time period yeah. i forget but i've used those online many many times to talk about how um it's okay to you know start out with the small frags and grow out these big colonies you just have to be patient and wait because it it can turn into something spectacular if you, if you do it yeah right. let's let's talk a little about uh, aquascaping and, and we're going to get into your tank specifically in terms of the videos and stuff like that but um what's your philosophy on aquascaping 
So it, it's so hard at the beginning because at the beginning when, when I set up my reef, well, first of all, it never happens the first time, right? I, I'll do it. I'll, I'll look at it and I'll be like, three weeks later, I'll move, move, move frag somewhere else or I'll move a rock or, um, um, but the, the, the other item is that it just looks terrible because it's little sticks. And for months or years, you're looking at little sticks. But I think, I think you're a classic example of this. I mean, the pictures you show demonstrated so well that you just have to be patient and you have to leave space. Today, I see a lot of younger reefers getting in the hobby and they'll buy five or six frags and they'll put them all, you know, right on the top of one little six inch rock. And I'm thinking to myself, those are gorgeous. They could be gorgeous colonies and you have really nice high end corals that you purchase. But man, there's no room for them to grow. Yeah. You got to, you got to, got to be willing to accept that kind of small stick spread out look in the beginning as as you get started. Um, and then the other item is, I like to, and you know, 20 years ago this was a little harder because there weren't quite as many choices. But today, um, you have a lot more color choices. Uh, I like I like to have contrasting colors. So I like to have a you know a, a deep blue in one area, an orange in another, a yellow. I don't like to get them all grouped in the same color in the same area. Now I try to, and I try to get different colors of you know each possibility. Which today the the color choices are really uh, fantastic. Just you have some wonderful, wonderful corals you can buy on a regular basis. The the Walt Disney coral, or or um, the, the, you mentioned before, the Blue Oregon tor is readily available all the time. Uh, I love the um, Bali green slimer. That's a, <clears throat> a really old school, very inexpensive coral, but it, it offers nice color, uh, especially out of the blue LEDs these days and gives a nice contrast to the, the other coral colors that you see commonly. Yeah, it, it grows like a, like a weed. In my 225 gallon tank, it actually grew out of the water. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it, was like, no uh, kidding. Wow. It, it literally was growing out of the water and I had to eventually get rid of it because it was so aggressive. Um, I'm gonna show uh, a tank that you actually visited in person. And this is Steve Weiss' uh, tank. And it, it, was an, it was an inspiration to you in terms of your, um, your tank. And this guy was just really, he rocked it. I mean, this, this guy was, uh, Steve, I don't know if he's got a tank going right now, but um, this was the tank that everybody drooled over years ago. And um, I think I see an Oregon blue tort in there. And, and you, you also, I, I know in terms of what uh, I read, you, you visited uh, reefstuff.com in Oregon when you were out there and you talked to Rick uh, Suda. So, it, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting history out there in Oregon, but Steve's tank, and I'm going to show um, your, um, your photo as well. You know, I, I definitely see some similarities there in terms of the aquascaping, but talk about that visit with Steve and, and that tank. Well, first of all, Steve Wiest is just, he's the god of gods when it comes to reef keeping. His tank, to have seen it in person, is incredible. It's as good as anything you would see in like the Monterey Aquarium or something like that. It was just truly, truly unbelievable. Um, his big feature, he had it in one room. He had a room dedicated to that. And only only the front pane was visible. You couldn't see on the sides of the tank. Um, and he created this channel that you look down with a, an enormous amount of depth. Um, because he had, uh, he, um, And that was something that I really wanted to duplicate with my reef. 
So I tried, I, I didn't have anywhere near the size that he had, but my tank is 48 by 48. It's square, not, not long. So I thought I could get a little bit of that. And um, I like to think I, I made uh, as best an attempt as I could with 48 by 48. But his, um, the meticulousness of how he did it and the, he, he said there were so many little tidbits that I picked up from other reavers along the way. And from him, I picked up just an enormous amount. Um, up until that time, I never thought of cleaning my sand bed. And he, he, was, he religiously cleaned his sand bed, just siphoning off the top a little bit and replacing it with a little bit. He didn't like snails. He thought snails were a pollution in the mm. tank. He used urchins. So I went back home and got urchins and didn't buy any more snails. Um, he, uh, he had some coral. He was the one who talked about coral placement and coral color and how you, know, you want to have contrasting colors. Um, and in his back shop, the behind the scenes, uh, the, the, the order that was in his system, um, was something that I, I, up to that point had not really tried to put into my system. And I went home and tried to do that, uh, reinforcing a floors was something I hadn't <laughs> thought about a whole lot before. Um. So I just learned a lot from Steve. He was really, really uh, very generous with his knowledge and his time, and his tank was absolutely gorgeous. And you mentioned it, it was also interesting because on that same visit, I did meet Rick Soda. Um, I, I don't believe he's in the business. I think his son uh, now has a shop still out there in Oregon, but he was one of the very early uh, online retailers from whom you could buy uh, most of the classic corals of the time, yep. you know, the a bird's nest or a postlepora or um, the organ tort he was famous for because he had a very large uh, colony. And he was the one who, um, he really, really pushed uh, on actinic light long before anybody else did. He thought that was the secret sauce to his corals being so colorful. Not just, he had the radium bulbs, the metal halide radiums, but he also had over every tank where he had uh where he was growing coral he used uh back then it was vho we didn't have the t5 so it was all the vho actinics the super actinics um but he definitely uh was a very strong influence in my early choices about corals and lighting um but as you said the Oregon was kind of at the forefront at the time. Yeah, i'll tell you the oregon blue tort is my all-time favorite sps coral hands down yeah, I, I would put close second to it the Tyree Purple Monster. And that, that seems to be really hard to find. And I, I still don't know why uh, my tank was very healthy, doing really well. And I had several colonies of that. And, you know, it's one of those things in our hobby. They just started turning brittle and STNing. And there was nothing. I couldn't frag it. I couldn't. I took it out and dipped it. I put it in another system. Um and it just didn't seem to survive. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened with that, but I, I really miss that coral. That's one that I'm uh, actively seeking piece of still. Well, I, um, I have a frag that has been growing out for a couple of years and it's really just been encrusting and encrusting and encrusting. And, um, you know, I've got a couple of nubs. So, uh, once, once I've got uh, a fraggable branch there, Jill, I'll, uh, I'll make sure that you get a piece of it. But uh, it's been frustrating right. how long it takes to, uh, for that thing. And, and in my prior tank, my 225-gallon tank, for me, it grew like a weed. 
It really just yeah, grew like too, a weed. Absolutely. And uh, now it's, uh, I don't know, it's being a little stubborn here, but um, you know. I, I, you know, there's uh, many, many years ago, there's a guy, Ron Chimick on reefcentral.com. I think he was a biologist. I, I don't see him around anymore. But he uh, talked about coral senescence. I think that's the correct pronunciation. Maybe I got that wrong. But he thought that maybe corals that are kept in our hobby that are uh, the same coral, you know, they're, they're cloning themselves over and over and over and over. They're never reproducing sexually. And that perhaps somehow without getting new DNA every decade or so, maybe, maybe they have a finite, you know, ability to reproduce. I have no idea. I'm just, well, have no idea. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's a hard coal to come by these days. And, uh, if anybody out there has a, uh, a, uh, a purple monster that's growing real, really well, I'd like to know about it, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I know John, uh, Coppolino is, uh, that's why I think I got, I got the frag from, um, I know he does, uh, really well with that coral. But uh, let's, uh, let's, let's go back into your tank. So I showed that picture before in terms of what it looked like a while ago. And, and you shot a video for us and you did a little narration around it. So what, what, uh, what we'll do here is uh, we'll play that video and then we'll, um, we'll come back and talk about it. All right. Here we go. Hi there folks, Joe Peck, Tucsonny from Reef to Reef and JP Bankyard from ReefCentral.com. Uh, here at Keith's invitation, thank you very much Keith, getting to show off my uh, lifetime hobby, uh, this uh, reef that I set up back in uh, 2000 originally, but this tank I got in 2007 and it's had a couple of redos since then. Um, but uh, this time when I redid it about, uh, about eight months ago, I started this the latest version and I went with a lot fewer coral colonies because I want to allow them to grow much bigger this time rather than a bunch of smaller colonies that get crowded quickly um, and I switched uh, I was a lifelong believer in metal headlight lights and now I switched to the LED T5 hybrid the ATI power modules uh, I cannot say enough about how much I like them I just think the colors fantastic and the uh, dawn dusk effect that you get um, with the blue LEDs, it's just really second to none. It shows off the corals really well. And you can tell by the coloration that the corals obviously uh, very much love the light. So let me turn the flow off and then we can get a, a quick look at the top. And I forgot to mention also that the, uh, the flow that is in there is coming from two uh, Tunzi uh, units that are on the uh, swivel. That, that's all I have, nothing else really. All right, that's it. So that's it for the 240 display. Let's go have a look at my Pico. I got a new two and a half gallon Pico in the kitchen.
All right, and we are back. And before we look at that um, Pico tank, Joe, I got some questions for you about that. First of all, it's looking awesome. And uh, thanks very I, much. Appreciate it. Um, I, I see you guys still got a nice big chunk of that Oregon blue tort right there in, in, in that yeah. tank. And you also have a lot of, um, like you were talking about, some, some not so big name corals. You got some very basic like Stylophora, Orange Digi, and, and those are very colorful corals. And I have similar tastes. So I like to uh, mix it up. I, you know, there's some definitely rare pieces that uh, I like to keep in there, but I, I prefer to have a lot of bright, solid, contrasting colors in my reef tanks. And it looks like that's the same with you. And, and so I, uh, I can relate. <laughs> Yeah, I also, I thought it very interesting that I was very late to the LED um, move, but obviously the lights I have now do have the LEDs and they turn <clears throat> blue at night. When I do the dawn dusk, I have the T5s off. And I was pleasantly surprised that the, the Bali Green Slimer and the Orange Digi, they look absolutely spectacular under the blue light. I mean, they really glow tremendously, as well as the the, the zoanthids I have there are very common fire and ice. They're, 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 they're not very uh, fancy, they're just, but they look really, really good when the blue lights turn on. So I'm definitely a big fan of uh, some of the nicer corals, but I'm also a big fan of the, like you said, some of the old school basic corals that, that provide that good contrast, good color. So we have a comment from uh, Alfredo. Um... Who, who says, is this the Joe Peck that had the most beautiful tank I've ever seen with a magnificent anemone? I think, I think it is, Alfredo. I think that's the one, <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, Alfredo. I appreciate so that. So what happened to the anemone? Um, so the, that one actually got too big for my tank. Um, it did split a bunch of times. Um, and I was lucky enough. I, I was very worried because I wasn't going to destroy the, the anemone. That, that, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but a local uh, fish shop, um, ha uh, House of Fins in Greenwich Aquaria, there's a gentleman there, Keith, who has friends at the Norwalk Aquarium, and he was able to contact them, and they generously offered to take that anemone, and it's now on display at, in Norwalk. So, and um, if you go to uh, another local fish shop, Greenwich Aquaria, uh, which is owned by uh, Jason Edward in um, Riverside, Connecticut. Um, there actually are two clones of that anemone in that tank. I gave him a, a very, very small clone, like maybe that big in 2005. And now it's, uh, you know, now it's uh, a good two, two feet across and a uh, host to a couple different clown, clown families. So well, I'm, I'm um, sure you can get a, uh, a clone back if you wanted one, right? <laughs> yes, I, actually, I'm talking to Jason about that, and then hopefully um, they do move around a little bit. I don't want them to, you know, rip it out or you know, damage it or damage his reef. But uh, sometimes they do move. He says if one moves into a position where he can get it, then he'd be happy to give me back a, a clone, a small clone, which would be a, a lot of fun. I um I have never had an anemone in my tank. I think I tried a um a, um, a bubble tip anemone, a red bubble tip anemone. And um, I think after the first night, it got caught in a uh, powerhead, and that was that. And that was that was oh, the last uh, oh. that was the last time I ever tried to uh, put an enemy in my reef tank. So, what, Joe? What kind of advice would you have if somebody wanted to try to, you know, put an enemy in a reef tank, um, such as the ones that you've had, and you've got one in, in your tank now? But uh, what kind of advice would you give in, in terms of, you know, when to put it in, and and what kind of an enemy or 
you know, can it be in an SPS dominant tank? I mean, I've, uh, you obviously have proved that you can do that and others have as well, but, um, you know, there's others like me that uh, don't know what they're doing when it comes to anemones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, for, for the majority of people, uh, I think that anemones have to be the, the first thing that goes in before you start to get corals because you have to let it settle in. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tend to wander around. And it's very important, as you learn the hard way, powerheads are a real threat to anemones. Now, uh, this is, you know, this is do as I say, don't, don't do as I do. Because if you look at my tank, I have the Tunzis in there and they're not covered mm. and the anemone could, in theory, get there. But... Uh, essentially what I do to protect from that is I have myself or my wife check the tank each morning and night and the anemone is quite far. He, it would take a couple days for it to reach one of the Tunzis where they're placed. So we hopefully would have time to see it before it got there. Um, and, and they're in the quarter and they, they tend not to go into a, the those corners, they tend to, if they're going to move, they tend to, at least in my experience, to go towards the overflow. Mm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, yeah bottom line, uh, for most people, it really is very difficult. There's a lot of information online, as with the case with most anything, you know, do your homework first. But if you you're, have your heart set on an anemone, like, like I did in the beginning, um, probably best to to start with just a couple of corals and let the anemone be one of the early inhabitants so it can find its place in the rock work. And if you go online, each type of anemone, the magnificent versus the carpet versus the bubble tip, they all have a preference in terms of lighting and flow and placement. The carpets like to be, some of them like to be on the sand substrate and like to burrow in. Um, bubble tips like to hang sideways or uh, so everything has a slightly different uh, preferred location and condition, and you want to definitely want to do your homework before trying an anemone. But I will say, if if, if you're able, it is um, I, I find the clownfish anemone relationship to be one that, in terms of the interest generated by people that visit my tank, that is uh, hands down the number one uh, most talked about most uh, uh, pointed to uh, uh, item in the in my reef by 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 a large measure well I'll tell you um, I it's I have this, a similar experience when I have people come to, to check out my tank they're not drawn to the SPS they're drawn to what's moving in the tank and that's the LPS so it's like the hammer corals or a torch or um, you know, whatever no. it is, and um, it's a little frustrating. <laughs> you know, it's like, got some awesome <laughs> yeah. SPS corals, great colors and all SPS, that stuff. Like, yeah. Wow, look at that cool, like, hammer corals. Like, well, you know, that's just kind of like the little uh, window dressing there. But um, so, you know, I love clownfish, too. And and uh, luckily, you know, my clownfish do eventually find a um, an LPS to host in. Um, although the current pair that I have in my tank right now, they... Um, I bought them, um, they, they came in separately because I had a pair and then I lost one of them and then I got, I brought another one in. They, um, they did not pair up, but, um, and they did not host anything an LPS for like at least a year. And then, uh, one of them hosted a, um, an Alviapora, which was really cool. The other one did not, but then they, uh, they actually, um, started, um, uh, spawning. 
and they still don't hang out together. So they spawn like four or five That's times. Great. And, and uh, so it's, it's nice to be able to like kind of have that uh, symbiotic relationship to, um, you know, with the clownfish and, and corals. But the anemone clownfish relationship is, is awesome. And um, it's so well worth having it if you could pull it off. So, um, Joe, let's, let's switch gears a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what, what I saw in your tank there. And we, we, you also put together a video for us on your, um, your equipment room, and, and we're going to run that as well. But um, in terms of what we saw in the display tank video, I saw an ATI fixture, right? There's T5s. And is that a T5 uh, LED combo light? It is, yeah. It's, a, it's the eight-bulb unit, so eight, eight T5s and then the three sets of LEDs down the middle. And because it's a 48 by 48 tank, I have to have two fixtures. That's, it's certainly not a cheap hobby by any means. Yeah, so um, talk about your progression to that light fixture. Um, I, am, um, I am still stuck in my ways in terms of the metal halides. I, run a, uh, I still run a metal, metal halide fixture with 400 watt radiums and T5 combo and, and um, call me stubborn, but it works. You, you have evolved from that, right? You used to have 400 watt radium uh, 20K bulbs, but uh, you have evolved. Correct. I, have, I have not evolved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I've always had a philosophy in my reef, and sometimes I fool myself into thinking I'm doing it, but my philosophy has always tried to be to mimic nature. And so I always wanted to have a soft, you know, dawn, dusk, and a, a steady progression. That was kind of my dream to have this progression from low light to the maximum intensity back down to low light in the evening. And with the metal halide, um, the old, my, my tried and true uh, Hamilton technology, yeah. you know, um, uh, fixtures that I had in the very beginning, it was, you know, all on, all off. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. did start the VHOs first and then turn the metal halides on, but boy, when they turned on, you went from zero to 100 and, you know, instantly. And I always longed for something that was uh, more gradual. And so that, um, I actually tried into, as a kind of an intermediate step, I tried uh, a more pure LED uh, um, light done by PacSun. And yep. it had a very strong disco ball effect. And I really didn't care for that. It was, you know, the red, blue, white shining on the sand all the time. And so ultimately, um, although it was the most expensive option by far, I decided to give a go with the ATI power module. Mostly, believe it or not, because um, I'm trying to think of his name. I think he's Czechoslovakian, maybe you remember. He just was an amazing, he just made amazingly beautiful tanks. He was a tank of the month on Reef Central a couple of times. Um, but in any case, he, he had the ATI fixtures and he made these gorgeous, gorgeous reefs. So I just couldn't argue with the fact that T5s could do the job. And then when they came out with the power module, now you have the completely controllable, dimmable with the shimmer that I like because the, the basic, the plain T5, there's no shimmer. And being a metal halide guy, shimmer, shimmer was very, very important to me. I really enjoyed that fact, very, another natural looking type environment. Um, and so the ATI power module offered, the, to me, it's the only one that offers that dawn to dusk process with the shimmer in one package. Um, so, and I, I'm very happy with the choice. I'm, I, I would suggest giving it a try the next time you, you set up a, a tank because uh, I think you'd be surprised. And then I also um, 
I recently, it took, I've had it now for about two years, and it never really looked the same as the, the old radium metal halide look that I, I really liked. It was a little bit bluer than, than that. But recently, I just, uh, I don't know why, but I decided to turn up the whites a little bit in the middle of the day. So I ramp up the white LEDs before I had them turned off because I watched a couple of videos on uh, by Bulk Reef Supply about the white not being really necessary for coral growth, really it's the lower end. But with the white added in in the afternoon, the look that I get, I, I would now say is really, really, really close to the old radium wow. uh, metal headline look. So I'm, I'm very pleased. I'm very, very happy with that choice. That's, uh, that's, that's quite a statement. I, I never uh, would have realized that you can try to get close to that with T5s and LEDs, but that's really cool to know. Hey, uh, Joe, K-Dub Corals has a question for you. He's got some uh, ATI Blue Plus bulbs, and he's wondering how high he should uh, mount the, uh, the bulbs in that fixture. Do you have any uh, suggestions in terms of how high T5 should be above the, uh, the tank? Yeah, there, there's a gentleman online. He, he goes by the name Big E. He's on yeah. most of the, the big big forums. Yeah. And uh, he, he, he was the one who really uh, taught me the, the most about uh, this topic. And he is a very firm believer that right around that 10-inch level. And he, his, his tank only has a four-bulb unit, and he overdrives them with an ice cap ballast. But... Um, he keeps them way up there at 10 inches above the tank. And he gets, you know, he shows that you still get a par reading of 200 or more on the, you know, 24 inches down. So uh, I would definitely say that, uh, that uh, at the lowest, you know, he talks about eight inches. If you, if you have just the T5s, you don't have any LEDs. But if, especially if you have LEDs in that combination, uh, definitely a higher height, not, not too low. Definitely something around. 10 inches where I, that's where I keep mine, 10 inches above the, above the water line. Um, the bulb from bulbs to water line is 10 inches. Have, have you noticed any difference in terms of colors and growth in your corals when you made the switch from halides to, uh, to this, uh, T5, um, LED combo? I, 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 yes, I would say that everything in my tank is a slightly deeper color or whatever that color might be. Mm. Um, now, uh, there's a lot more that goes into that, right? Nutrients change and um, salinity, alkalinity, calcium levels, all of, all of that, the, the trace elements, et cetera. We know that there's so much involved. But I do, I do really believe that T5s took my coral coloration to a, a slightly higher level. Now, the only caveat I would say is that I also enjoy photography. Um, I've done a lot of macro shots of my corals. I cannot quite get the same photograph that I did under radiums. Mm. Um, to my eye, it looks more colorful, but in terms of what I can capture with the camera, I, I don't quite capture that same intense coloration that I, I was getting before. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what to, to make of that. that uh, that's interesting. Um, one last question on the, uh, on the display tank, and then... Um... I don't know. Should we should we show the uh, the Pico tank, or should we go into the uh, the equipment room? Maybe the Pico tank, and then go to the equipment room. Uh, sure. sure. And, and I also want to make sure you've got the time. I know. Uh, <laughs> I am. Yeah. No. No rush on my part. I'm here. Here, long as everybody wants to say this. Yeah. Um, so uh, my my other question in terms of the display tank, I saw the live rock in there. Is that the same rock you found in that tank? 
since you started it? No, no. And when, um, so my most recent uh, redo, um, we were talking about this earlier before the show. Um, I, I kind of went through a period where I, well, actually, the truth is I was into another hobby. I was racing cars. Um, and when I was in the race mode, I didn't have a lot of time for my tank. And I started to see, I started to lose colonies. And then it became very discouraged. So I kind of let my tank go. And it got really overgrown with algae. And I lost a lot of colonies. And when I finally came back around, I stopped racing. Um, and I decided it was time to start over again. Um, I realized that the the rock that I had in there probably um, it was so covered with algae, it was covered with dead corals that were really fully encrusted everywhere. Um, I just needed to to start out with new rock, so I ended up going with KP Aquatics and and getting all new rock. Um, Reith, I, I, Keith, I have to beg an absolute pardon for your viewers, and if you can give me one minute, I have. Uh, I told Keith earlier. Unfortunately, I have a gentleman who uh, is doing work here. I have to give him a quick check and then so I'll be I'm right gonna, back. Uh, I'm going to play your equipment room uh, video and maybe the Pico tank video, and hopefully it'll be back by then. <laughs> okay, perfect. Right. That'd be perfect. All right. All right. Here we go. All right, folks. So here's the messy oh, mad right. scientist room. No mean comments online. It is very messy, but I've had it this way for about uh, 19 years or so, and it's it's been working great. So... Even though it's messy, it does work. Here we go. The first thing you'll notice is that I'm a big, huge fan of the Agway stock tanks. That's a 250-gallon stock tank, and that's a 150-gallon stock tank. Obviously, that's my main sump, and this is the tank that I use for uh, water changes. Loaded up with 150 gallons of water, and then change it out about. Uh, only about once a quarter now that I have the refugium set up. I don't do water changes as often as I used to. I have, uh, in terms of the only real equipment that I have on the tank, I have an uh, old Neptune Apex system. And right now I'm all, only monitoring uh, two elements, the temperature and the pH. That's, uh, that's pretty much all I monitor. And as far as filtration goes, I'm very old school. I have a Beckett-style skimmer. This is called an HSA 1000. Um, but I've had this for pretty much as long as I've had my reef set up. And I just, I just love it to death. It's hooked up to a monster pump. It's hooked up to an Iwaki 100. And the amount of water that goes through this every day is just enormous. You can tell I get a uh, very good uh, buildup here. And I, end up, I skim very wet, so I get uh, this full of wet skimmet about uh, twice a week I have to empty it. Um, so it skims very wet and pulls out a lot of gunk. Uh, I really, really can't say enough about these skimmers. I know today it's very popular to go with the uh, low power um, needle wheel style skimmers, but um, I really believe that they, these things just do an incredible job. The only other addition is uh, recently, because of uh, some videos that I saw done by Bulk Reef Supply, um, I decided to go ahead and try a refugium. And so I put this on, I don't know, maybe three months ago or so. Uh, it's got the typical Chato Morpha algae in there, and I have to take out a ball of algae, I don't know, once a month or so. Um, but uh, again, I, I just can't say enough about how this system is working. I really, really like it. I really think it's, it's doing a great job. I have 
just zero algae problem in my main display tank now that I've set this system up. I did try to do it uh, inexpensively because I had this tank, um, so the only thing I needed was some sort of overflow, so I went with one of these inexpensive uh, external overflows, and of course, just like everybody else, I did experience a flooding in the basement. Fortunately, the pump only pulls off about an inch of water from the sump, so the flood here in the basement was fairly minimal. But as a result, I put on the shutoff, so now if the water level increases too high, it shuts off the pump. Um, but since that flooding, I haven't had any problem with the overflow since then. But that's it. I've got a skimmer and a refugium and a big, big old sump and no other chemical filtration at all. So uh, that's Joe Peck's reef. Thanks for, thanks for having a look. Joe, man, that is a real simple old school setup that you got going there. That skimmer, I used to have that skimmer in my 225 gallon tank. And let me tell you, that thing was a beast and it did an awesome job. It really does. I mean, you see today uh, many tanks that have been done showing that you don't have to have a skimmer, but I really think uh, it helps. It certainly, it certainly helps. And it, I think it's part of the equation of why I have healthy, colorful corals like I do. Um, that, that, yeah, that, that, I just love that skimmer, love it to death. You know what I liked about that skimmer is that um, once you get it tuned in in terms of the, um, you know, where, where that foam is uh, skimming, it does not change. You know, the, uh, the needle wheel skimmers today, it, um, it depends on the water level in the sump, but with those um, HSA skimmer, right? They, um, yeah. that is, uh, it's an external skimmer, so that's not going to be impacted by the water level in your, uh, in your sump. I mean, the risk is, you know, you can get a leak or something like that, and, and then you got a bit of a, um, a flood wherever your skimmer is, but that's, hey, you know, that's part of the hobby, right? Yeah, exactly. It's very interesting how, you know, I had that skimmer, I have had it now for 19 years, and for uh, probably the first 17, 16, 17 years ago, until two years ago when I had uh, some work done in my house professionally, uh, a little bit of, I had some plumbing replaced, I had the skimmer moved, and the gentleman who did the, the moving, he was, he's a long, long time, very knowledgeable uh, work, man that's worked in the hobby, and he changed the way it, I had had it set up myself. I, I used to have it, it's hard to explain exactly, but it, it wasn't properly set up, is my point. And the, so here you are, here I am, you know, 17 years into the hobby, learning how to properly set that up. To, exactly to your point though, that once it was set up properly, and once I dialed it incorrectly, it's amazing how consistent it is. I just get a very, very consistent amount of skimming, clean, cleaning out the, the overflow there a couple times a week. And I just don't have to mess with it at all, no matter what else is going on in the tank. It just, it's rock solid now. So it's really great. To, you know, to me, this, this is a great example of, you know, how you can set up a system without having to spend a lot of money on technology and expensive equipment. I mean, this is a real basic setup. And you pretty much had the same setup since you started the tank, right? I mean, you've made some little changes here and there. You added that, uh, the refugium with the Cato in there to, uh, to help yes. provide some nutrients. But to me, you know, just to have a simple basic system and to stick to, you know, some standard um, practices and principles in terms of sound reef keeping, and, and we could talk more about that, is, um, you know, that's all you need. You don't really need to um, go crazy and have a lot of moving parts, a lot of variables, and 
I always say that um, you know, the more moving parts and variables you have, there's more likelihood that something can go wrong. But you know, technology is a good thing to have, and I'm I'm not going to um, you know um, you know say anything against it. I mean, I, I uh, I've evolved over the years, and, and I've leaned on uh, controllers and and um, you know other pieces of equipment, um, alkalinity monitors, and, and things like that. And and they certainly have their place in the hobby. But also, what you're showing here in terms of what you're doing proves that um, you can really do this hobby successfully with a very simple setup. That is uh, absolutely my philosophy. I definitely follow the KISS principle when it comes to my reef. And uh, uh, just like everybody else, I mean, I have gone through my phases over the years, obviously having done this for so many years. You know, I tried Zeovid with the, the little the pump of the Zeovid rocks and everything. Uh, you know, I've had my reactors on the side. Um, I've had my, you know, bubbling the phosphate media. Um, so I try, I've been there, done that. And ultimately, I've always come back to, nah, it didn't, it didn't really help me uh, <laughs> in the end. Uh, you know, just a simple old skimmer in the sump and the light, and that was, that was all that was really, really necessary. Um, um, Joe, before we um, um, talk more about your setup, I want to just get a question in from Scott Morrison. He asked a question a little while ago about a, um, a suggestion for a fish that's a good uh, workhorse to help clean up um, you know, algae in his uh, fish tank. What, what would you recommend in terms of a, uh, a really good you know, algae-eating type of um, fish for, for a mixed reef tank? Well, uh, years ago, uh, when I, I was having a problem with, I think it's called wafer algae. It's like a brown algae that starts to cover your rocks. So I was, I, I was looking on the internet, and I did a lot of homework and trying to pick what was the most, uh, uh, which fish ate the most variety of bad algaes, if it were. And uh, one, there are many possibilities, but I personally prefer the coal tang. That's my, the yellow eye coal is yep. one of my favorite fish for, for kind of an all around heavy duty algae eater. I mean, the one I have, um, boy, he just spends his whole day just scraping away the rock everywhere, all over the tank. So he certainly, and, and uh, I've had him now for, oh God, hmm, uh, I think he came from before 07. So I think he's probably 11 or 12 years old. Wow. Um, and I got, I got that fish exclusively to eat that brown wafer algae and he he definitely did that in the very beginning and then some so yeah coal tang is my my thought yeah i like to um i like to throw a bunch of tangs in my you know tanks right at the very beginning because um you could put a coal tang and let, let's say like a yellow tang um in in the different times because they're not the the same kind of shape you know tang not the exact same type of tang but if you put in a yellow tang and then you wanted to put in a purple tang down the road, that could be a problem. So what I, what right, I, what right. I like to do is just put as many tangs in together as possible at the beginning to kind of have a crew in case, uh, you know, one by itself doesn't, uh, you know, kind of, uh, hold its weight there, pull its weight. Yeah. Um, that's always a good thing to do. Um, what else do I want to talk about? So Joe, I didn't, I didn't notice in the video and, and I apologize if I, I that I, that I didn't pick this up, but in terms of uh, calcium and alkalinity supplementation, what are you using? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't uh, look at that downstairs, but um, very, very old school bionic. Yep. Um, I, my system takes about 230 milliliters of each uh, part one, part two uh, per day, and I dose it. I have in the sump. I don't know if you saw, it, but it is turbulent. I do have a a tunzi in this in the sump. 
So I just pour every morning. I go downstairs and pour it in directly. Um, I, I've long thought about having a doser. I know everybody uses them. I did try a doser years ago. And of course, it got clogged, and it, you know it was a hassle to set up. And um, so I, I've just been reluctant to go back to add another piece of equipment because I, it's very easy for me to go down in the morning, or um, when I'm away on a trip, I have my wife do it for me. But just to pour in one cup of Bionic, and that's that's all it takes. And I wake up in the morning, my pH is 8.0. And then when I dump the 200 milliliters or so, it goes up to 8.2. And for most of the day, it stays at 8.1. So, uh, yeah, just good old-fashioned BII. You can't argue with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm dosing two-part now. I've gone back and forth over the years. I started out when I first got into the hobby doing two-part, and then I did a calcium reactor. And I remember we were talking about in terms of the, um, you know, those early uh, dosers back in the day. They were not very reliable, and uh, they did clog up a lot. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the doses that they make today are, are certainly um, a, a lot better and, and more reliable. But, um, you know, you got to stick with what works. So, yeah, I, I will also add that I'm going to I'm actually going to change. And I, I forget I should have looked it up before I, I came on the show. But um, I, I've been relying lately heavily on a lot of the BRS, the bulk reef supply videos, because I think they just do a tremendous job of of testing equipment and then publishing the results in a very scientific data-driven way. And so they did an analysis of two-part solutions. And what they the conclusion they came to was the powdered variety. The, I, I think, um, but, oh, I forget. I forget which company it is. It's one of their, it's on their video, but there's a company that has a powdered version that includes all the trace elements. And it's simply, it's pretty much identical to Bionic. You just get it in powdered form and have to mix it with RO water. But it's going to be much cheaper because you're not paying to ship water. Yep. You're, just, you're mixing it at home. So I'm going to try that uh, in the and when I run. I buy them in large, uh, in that big eight-gallon set. So I'm about halfway through a set right now. So when my Bionic runs out, I'm going to try the... the uh, the other new company to see how I, I like the powdered form. Talk, talk about um, nutrient exports. So you did add the refugium recently, and uh, you you seem to like it. But um, what were you doing before that, and uh, why did you make the switch to the refugium? Uh, so I was probably the biggest expense of my tank uh, after electricity was uh, salt because I was doing um, a monthly. Even sometimes because I would, if I was doing vacuuming my sump or something, I might even do a bi-monthly 150-gallon water change because I have mm. a pretty big system. And until recently, I actually had a frag tank on that system, which I recently took out, which added another 180 gallons to the system. So I had over 700 gallons in the whole system. So water changes were very expensive. So again, it was a bulk reef supply video where they talked about uh, testing systems that had a refugium installed, and they found that the Chado, if it was properly sized, was actually sufficient to handle nutrient export for uh, reef systems. So it was just a question of getting the combination right. And I, absolutely, that was my experience. When I uh, got the refugium up and running well, I suddenly found that my nitrates and phosphates uh, were very low and stable, um, and I didn't have any more 
red slime algae on my sand bed. The, the amount of dust algae that I would get on the glass went down from you know, every day being a problem to being a problem once a week. So uh, I've become a huge fan of uh, adding a refugium on a, a larger system. I think it, it works. It has, it has worked very well for me. Um, and I like it a lot. What uh, What do you like to keep your um, you know key parameters at? Like alkalinity, calcium, um, nitrate, phosphate. What do you uh, magnesium? What do you shoot for with those uh, parameters? So uh, going back to what I mentioned earlier, I try very very hard to stay uh, as close to natural seawater as you can. Now that's a big uh, big question mark there, right? Who's natural seawater? Red Sea or Indian Ocean or you know uh, Hawaii or where, what reef am I trying to create? It, it, it typically, for me, that means a calcium around 425, alkalinity around uh, 8 degrees Kelvin hardness, uh, temperature around 78, pH around 8.1, salinity I keep at 35 parts per thousand or 1.026 on the refractometer. Um, magnesium is up around t- uh, 1250, I think. It's around there. Um, and I try to... Uh, I don't, I no longer test m- most parameters. The only thing I really test now is calcium, alkalinity, and uh, pH and salinity. That's it. I don't, I don't test my magnesium. I don't test my phosphate or nitrate anymore. If I notice something changing, maybe red slime building up, then I'll do a test to see if things are very high. Um, but I, um, I don't think that you can get anything more than a order of magnitude indication on your phosphate. The, the, the home test kids, I just don't think are accurate enough to, to really pinpoint it. So I, I rely more on what I see with my own eye in the tank rather than testing. That, that's good advice because I think it's so very important to observe your tank on a daily basis and um, not get so hung up on the numbers. So I think observation is, is absolutely a key Thing with reef keeping, you know, if something's not looking right, then then kind of like dig a little deeper. But um, you know, don't overdo it in terms of chasing the numbers. That's that's uh, I think a good way to uh, approach it. Um, Joe, it's it's getting close to, to six o'clock. I don't want to keep you too much longer. We got a uh, we got a little video of your uh, Pico tank. You want to show that? Sure. sure, let's show that just for fun. All right, right. let's let's show that one and um, take it away. All right, folks, so here's my two and a half gallon Pico. The uh, story behind this, I've never had a Pico before, but uh, I recently got an anemone, a new anemone in the main display, and I tried to create a family of clownfish, and as everyone knows, the chances of that working are slim, and it didn't work, so I ended up with two clownfish that were getting beat up, so I decided to find them a home, and this is temporary. I've ordered a 20 gallon tank that I'm going to move them to on a uh, long-term basis, but for now, I had this two and a half gallon Pico set up um, uh, because I saw a video done by uh, Worldwide Corals where they set up a two and a half gallon Pico. And they were doing 100% water changes using water from their reef and were able to set it up quickly and keep it healthy, even though you can see it's got a pretty heavy load for such a tiny tank. But I think it's uh, just a lot of fun. I'm really excited with it. The only filtration I'm using are the uh, Kemi Pure little combo packs, that's really all I have, plus the water change. And uh, you, can, you can tell that it's, it's doing quite well.
So that's it. So now let's go ahead down and take a look at the mad scientist room. All right, we've already taken a look at the mad scientist room. So uh, that was that was pretty cool. That, again, that's um, that's something that I've always kind of thought about in terms of keeping like a little uh, nano tank like that, and and just having a couple of clownfish. It's really a simple setup, and it pretty much looks like it's maintenance free. It, very much so. The the the, the key, I, I think, and I learned from, like I said on the video, I learned from Worldwide Corals video, um, having another reef in your house where you can you know, just take water regularly that's, you know, fully biologically active and just do a 100% water change and know that you're putting in good water. That makes it very easy. I think if you had just the Pico and you were trying to mix up water and then do a water change and maintain it that way, I don't think it would be nearly as easy. Yeah. All right, Joe, I got a couple of quick uh, final rapid fire questions for you. Um, do you have a dream tank? If so, what is it? Uh, I would love to duplicate Steve Wee's tank in a room with uh, that, that really deep, deep, you know, eight foot wall on either side. That would be, I mean, that was big enough to go diving in. That would be my dream tank for sure. Maybe when I retire, maybe. maybe. There you go. Uh, favorite fish? Uh, I, I really adore clownfish and, and I don't really care for all the new Picasso, you know, I like the classic clownfish. So I love the way they breed in your tank. I love the way they behave. I love their stupid swimming. Uh, and I love the relationship they form with an, an, an anemone. Um, I, you already answered this question. Favorite SPS coral is the Oregon blue torp. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, hands yeah, down. Yeah. Yep. All right. If you had to, um, have one piece of equipment as a backup, what would that piece of equipment be? Uh, one piece of equipment as a backup. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say now a refugium because I see people with 20-gallon uh, tanks with no skimmer who are just using a, a refugium. So I'm, 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 I'm a new convert. Sign me up. That's, that's my new religion. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Chetomorph algae. Yeah, I, I've uh, been using a fuge for the last uh, eight months or so, just experimenting with it because I've never used one. And uh, yeah, they're pretty simple to use. They're great. So, uh, Joe, any final thoughts, any advice to the uh, folks out there watching? Uh, I think the big piece of advice, and I, I think everybody would agree that's been in this hobby a while, um, have patience. I, I saw a guy online recently who had a tank that had really small, he called them sticks. And he said his girlfriend kept coming in and saying, uh, nice sticks. And he was getting frustrated by the fact that people were saying, hey, nice sticks. And he wasn't seeing much. But he'd only had the tank for like eight months. And in the world of reef keeping, eight months is not that long. No. So patience. Patience is the word for this hobby. That is uh, great advice. Well, that's going to do it for this show. I really want to give my sincere thanks to Joe for being my guest on the uh, live stream tonight. Um, Joe had a lot of fun and, um, so folks, and vice versa. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, uh, folks, uh, next, uh, Thursday at 7 PM is going to be my next, uh, live stream. And it's going to be a really interesting, uh, discussion. I'm going to have, uh, Tulio de, de from Reef Bright on, and he is incredibly knowledgeable about, uh, lighting and it's going to be a very enjoyable and interesting conversation. So you will not want to miss, uh, Tulio next Thursday at 7 p. But until then, take it easy and stay safe out there.